baptism looks like. So if you've never been baptized, at least you know what it looks like. Um, and even with that, if you're watching this morning and you're kind of wondering more about baptism, maybe you're thinking, I've never been baptized. Um, we're going to do this often and we're going to do it soon again. Um, so we, I'd love to have that conversation with you, start looking at what that means. The other thing is, pay attention to the sermon this morning and see a little bit of what we believe about baptism. Um, but we are excited to celebrate that this morning. Um, and, and, and as I kind of get started, like I said, we're going to be in Romans 6, so you can start turning there. Um, but Romans 6, 3 through 11. And, and when we start thinking about baptism, I, I bet there's a lot of preconceived notions out there. A lot, of, a lot of ideas. Maybe some of you have seen a baptism firsthand. Maybe some of you haven't. But even if you haven't actually been at a baptism, um, I'm sure you've got some pictures that start coming to mind. I think the one that comes to mind for me, kind of uh, a funny picture of it, is uh, anybody seen Old Brother, Where Art Thou? I, I like that movie for the, uh, the bluegrass. I, I like bluegrass. But, but there's a scene in there, I think, where those three convicts go get baptized, right? And so we kind of have, that's the picture we have of baptism. Like singing the old hymn, wearing the white robe, walking down to the river. And I, that's, I think that's how they used to do it. That used to be a little more prevalent. And it looks quite a bit different today. But uh, I think even in the movies, sometimes it doesn't do justice. or we, the, the movie doesn't explain to us really what baptism is. So we kind of get the picture, good or bad. And, and, and we have some kind of notion uh, about baptism. So this morning, what I want to do just through, our, through the sermon in Romans here, uh, is I want to walk us through a little bit of what we understand about baptism. What, what we see, at the, the, what scripture says about baptism. And then at the same time, just to celebrate this morning with Tessa and Kyle and as a church, to, to, to celebrate our first bapti baptism at Capstone. Um, so even before I get into that, a few few weeks ago we did the Lord's Supper at, at, at uh, Capstone Church. We celebrate two ordinances, or if you're from a little more of a Catholic background, they call it sacraments. It's similar to sacraments, a little bit different, we'll get into that a little bit, but we celebrate two ordinances. We do the Lord's Supper, which we did a few weeks ago, and we do baptism. So when it comes to, to the marks of what, what a church looks like, who a church is, the, the things that distinguish us as a church... Those are the two big things. I mean, we do a lot of things, but as far as the, the things that are prescribed in Scripture for us to do as a church, the Lord's Supper of Communion and Baptism are the two that we celebrate. Um, so with that, I want to get into to Scripture this morning and, and see just a little bit about uh, what it says about baptism. So Romans 6, 3, I think I said uh, 3 through 7. Or I'm going to read all the way through 11 this morning. Romans 6, 3. Through 11. So if you would, just follow along with me. Um, I'm in chapter 2. Romans 6. you gotta, you got to put your notes in the right spot. Alright, Romans 6, starting in verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray again this morning. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we have a picture of the resurrection and baptism. Lord, how we have a celebration, uh, a reminder of what Christ has done for us. So, Lord, this morning as we look at your word and we see a little bit more about what baptism is, I just pray that you would impress upon our hearts the truth that you want us to hear this morning. And I pray that even as we just baptized Kyle and Tessa, that for all of us, the truth would be clear to who you are and what you're doing in our lives. So, Lord, just be with your word this morning. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So, just a quick background a little bit on Romans. Romans is another letter by Paul. In fact, it's, it's probably his most extensive letter. Paul wrote a lot of letters in the New Testament, so it's a letter by the Apostle Paul. And in, in general, the, the book of Romans is a defense for faith in Christ. It's a defense. He's, he's masterfully putting this argument together on how Jesus died for us and how he raised from the, day, the dead to save us. So the, this whole book of Romans... In fact, there's some guys that have preached through this book and taken like seven years to do it because it's, it's, it's intricately woven together to explain how faith in Jesus Christ is the key to our salvation. I love even here when we're in, in chapter 6, Paul's going through how in the midst of our struggle with sin, he talks about how, how all of us are struggling with our sin, how in the midst of, of this struggle and in and our inability to overcome it, how faith through grace in Jesus Christ is what saves us. So as we're struggling and, and wrestling with that, how, how we need Jesus desperately. And in chapter 6, he talks about how followers of Christ are given a new life in him. How Christ overcomes our sin. That's, that's the section we're reading through right here, is, is how Christ is the way that we overcome our sin. More importantly, for us this morning, he touches on baptism. So how we're looking at what Christ has done for us, he touches on this idea of baptism, what we're going to celebrate here this morning. So before I get any further, if you have your program, I want to encourage you to take notes this morning. But the first thing I want us to take from this passage this morning is that baptism means nothing without Jesus. Baptism means nothing without Jesus. Jesus. Let's look at this passage again a little bit here. Starting in uh, verse, verse 3. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? In verse 4, we were therefore buried with him, Jesus, through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And if you just start looking at this passage that we're reading out of this morning, you can see the name of Christ and the name of Jesus over and over and over again. 
And I've been saying it for a few weeks. If you've been to one of the recent sermons, and I said this, this was the, the, the point of last week and Easter and everything we celebrate. The, the gospel of Christ changes everything. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that he died on the cross and raised from the grave for us changes everything. So, if he changes everything, the act of baptism, the, the, the going under the water, what it symbolizes points us to Christ and his glory, and that's central. When I started thinking about this, I, I thought about recently, uh, I got back into working out. I did a ton of working out in college because I was actually a college football player. I kind of got burned out on it, and then I got away from it. And uh, since having Grayson, I've started working on my dad bod, so I realized I needed to get back into the gym. And if, if you guys are anywhere around town, you know that uh, Planet Fitness just came into town, and they're really cheap, and they had a great uh, membership offer, I think, back in, like, October. So I joined, went ahead and joined Planet Fitness. But Courtney was getting on to me because I didn't start going to the gym until, like, a few weeks ago. So I got the membership in October, and I just started going. I don't know if anybody else is in that boat. It's still, I, I tell her, like, nothing against the other gyms in town, but those, all those months added up is still cheaper than the other gyms in town, unless you get a good discount or something. But, but my point in bringing this up is that for all those months leading up until recently, so now I'm a gym rat, right? I've been like three times, I'm a gym rat. But all those months leading up until now, just having that church membership didn't make me a fit person. It didn't make me a weightlifter. It didn't make me a <coughs> marathon runner. That gym membership, just because I had the little thing on my keys and I was signed up and I could walk in there, that, that didn't make me a fit person. The, the meaning of the gym was kind of lost because I wasn't really going. You're supposed to go to a gym if you join a gym, right? That's the whole point. Just having the membership doesn't make you a fit person. This is the same with baptism. Without Jesus, we lose the whole focus. Without the fact that, that we're buried with him and we're raised to newness of life, it, without him, it loses the point. Um, you know, if, if, if we aren't focusing on Christ, you're just going, getting wet. You're going for a swim in a stock tank. You know, without Jesus, you could go home and run through the shower. I don't know, draw a bath and dunk yourself in there. But, if, but without him, we're just, we're just kind of getting wet. So, so getting at the meaning this morning, the meat of this passage, the reason that we do baptism is to look at what Christ has done for us. So this morning in that idea, I want us to look at several key concepts that are at the center of what baptism really is. And so when we start to think about uh, baptism, we look at what Romans is talking about, what Paul is telling us here in Romans. Um, there's, there's three kind of phrases, three, three, ter three terms that I want you to get. And I know that when I try to remember something, remembering terms helps me remember what something is. But the three things I want us to look at this morning is that in baptism, we're talking about identity. In baptism, we're talking about proclamation. In baptism, we're talking about celebration. Identity, proclamation, and celebration. So when we look at the biblical example of baptism, we see that identity is the first aspect that we can take away. What Paul's talking about here uh, with, with our example of Jesus Christ, identity is the first 
thing, the first phrase, the first idea that we can take away. And here's our kind of our second point. I've already made one point, but the second thing I want you to take away this morning, to believe in Christ is to identify with him and to identify with his church. To believe in Christ is to identify with him and to identify with his church. Let's read those same verses again and see a little bit more about what Paul is saying about identity. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So to, to get in that a little bit more, to kind of get at what Paul is saying, we, we need to look a little bit deeper into this and understand that, that uh, he's building this argument of how we need Christ. Up until this point, he's been saying in Romans that, that we've messed up. Anybody never mess up? Don't raise your hand. I don't. But has anybody never messed up? I'll be the first one to raise my hand. In fact, one of my illustrations here in a second, you'll kind of be wondering, does a pastor really do that? But has anyone never messed up? Paul is building an argument about how we've messed up this far in, in, in Romans. And then he's also talking about how we owe a punishment for doing wrong. He talks about how the wages of sin is death. And that's why Jesus came to, to pay for the punishment, to, to pay the price that we owe for messing up. He died on the cross to pay that punishment. That's what we just celebrated. More importantly, we celebrated the resurrection, the fact that he overcame death. And Jesus came, Paul is arguing that in Romans, that through Jesus, we have a second chance. We have new life. We have a new opportunity. And we have the chance to become a follower of Christ and accept that second chance, that new life that he gives. So when we start looking at baptism and we look at what Paul is telling us here, we die to our old self because of what Jesus has done. We're able to put our old self behind. We get rid of it. And we start living differently and new because of what Christ has done. So here's the picture. When we're understanding what the argument Paul's making here, that Christ grants us new life, we get the picture from baptism that it symbolizes everything that Jesus has done for us. Because he died like you're put in the water. And he's raised to, to, to new life like you're raised out of the water. So it's a symbol of what Christ done for us. That, that, that we're putting our old sinful self to death. And we're raising a new person. We're raising as an entirely different goal in life. So the, the point of this this morning in our, in, our, in our second point is when we do this, we identify with Christ. We're saying I'm with him because he saved me. So we're identifying with him. And there's a couple ways that we identify with Christ. First of all, Christ himself was baptized and set the example for us. In Matthew 3, if you want to look that up, Matthew 3 is where Christ was baptized. We also do it because he commanded. We identify with Christ because he did it, and then he commanded us to baptize people. So we identify with Christ. Secondly, we also identify with his church. You see, when you go under these waters and you come up, you're saying, me too. Christ is my life. 
You're saying there's other followers here that have already been dunked and brought back up. And you're saying, I'm, I'm one of those two that realizes what Christ has done for me. And I'm joining this group of people that are saying, Christ is everything. It's saying to the church, I identify with you. And here's the thing. When you get baptized, you're not like a solo Christian. When you get baptized, you get the rest of us too. You get the church when you get baptized. There's beauty in that. It's awesome that, that, that you're not alone when, when, when you start realizing that you want to look more and more like Christ and it doesn't happen overnight. We talk about next steps here all the time and you're not perfect tomorrow because you go into the waters today, but you've got a church that's with you and you get the rest of us. I love the picture it paints, you know, even the, the, this old tradition of being dunked and brought back up in, but when, when you brought up out of the water, the, you've got this congregation of people cheering for you. And you've got somebody here with a, a, a warm towel to wrap you up and give you a hug. And, and, and you're baptized to identify with the church. It's an awesome picture. So when you're baptized, you get us. You get all of us that are here saying, that have been through this and saying, we're following Jesus together. We're working out, working out how to live and look more like Jesus all the time. In a nutshell, when we talk about identity, you can't really believe in something unless you identify with it. You can't really believe in something and not identify with it. Baptism, baptism is saying, Jesus is now my life and he is working in me, just like he is working in everyone else who has decided to follow him. Baptism, in a sense, is saying, this is who I am. He is mine and I am his. And that's powerful. That's truth. So once we understand that we identify with Christ, we can move on and, and see our next point about baptism this morning. When we understand that, that we identify with what we believe in, when we identify with Christ, we also celebrate what he's done. Baptism is a celebration of what God has done. To put it bluntly, we celebrate who Jesus is and what he's done for us. I love what Romans 8.1 says, this is why it's a celebration, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, if you're not condemned anymore, you see what, what we deserve because of our sins is we deserve spiritual and physical death. But because of what Christ has done, and when we decide to follow him, we're granted a pass from those things. So Paul's telling us in Romans 8, there's now no more condemnation. Man, that's good news. He's painting this picture of how Jesus has overcome our sin. He's, he's painting the picture of how we're saved by grace. I love how Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. I don't know about you guys, but, but whenever I get an awesome gift, that's a cause for celebration, right? You think of the best gift you've ever gotten. You probably celebrated when you got that gift. What Paul's saying is that baptism is the celebration when someone becomes a believer. It's a celebration when someone becomes a believer. When I started thinking about this, this is the illustration I was talking about a minute ago, but... Uh, just the other day, I was up in the Bitterroot Valley, and, and I was meeting a friend over there to go fishing. Me and my brother were, and uh, he, knew, he knew the fishing spot. I don't really know. It's the first time fishing in the Bitterroot, and um, he knew where we were going. And so we hopped in the car, and uh, 
we were in two cars because he had to leave early and we were following him. But if you've ever been up the highway there in the Bitterroot, traffic really flies up there. I don't know if you've ever been in, in, in a really fast, got the pedal down. I was, my brother was driving, but our buddy's kind of leading the way. We're trying to keep up with him. I'm over kind of looking at the speedometer. And sure enough, on one of the side dirt roads, this hypo pulls out. A highway patrolman pulls out, you know, whips out there. You know that feeling? Like he's in a hurry. He's probably going to get after somebody. And kind of, you start holding your breath. You feel that adrenaline pump kick in. And, 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 and I felt like the guy we were following really, like, you know, he was probably speeding. So his high, high pole pulls out, and of course, you know, he's two or three cars back, and they're just looking in the rearview mirror the whole time, right? So I, I wasn't driving that day, but more or less I've been in that situation myself, where it's probably going a few over the speed limit of, of high pole pulls out. I'm sure most of us, unless you're a really cautious driver, most of us have probably been in that situation. But the, you know, the, the, the hypo pulls out and kind of coming back and forth, or he pulls into that passing lane. Before you know it, I mean, he's back in view. He's right on your tail again. But there's nothing like that feeling of when he passes you. You, you know you were probably speeding or you're pretty close, and, and you take that big sigh of relief, like, man, he didn't get me. And we were doing that. He passed us. And I'm like, oh, he's going for our, our buddy. He's going he's gonna to pull him over. And then we saw him pass our buddy. But that, that example is all too close. But that feeling when, when they pass and you don't get pulled over, that sigh of release, re relief. Baptism is like that big sigh because we have believed in the gospel of Christ. We're not getting what we deserve. Because a lot of times we really probably deserve to get pulled over, right? If we're honest... And we're like, okay, I was really speeding. We probably deserve to get pulled over. But baptism is, is like taking that big sigh of relief. We don't have to pay for the punishment. Like when the cop passes us, we don't got to pay for the ticket. That big sigh of release, relief, that is grace. In fact, baptism is more like letting out a massive cheer. Because you didn't get what you deserve. It's more of a cheer than a sigh of relief. We don't have to pay for the punishment. That, that's what grace is. It's a celebration of what God has granted us through the gospel. So if it's a celebration of grace, then there are a few truths about it. Baptism itself doesn't save us. Baptism itself doesn't save us. It's a celebration of how God has already saved us. So if you're like, man, I need to get saved, I just need to get dunked in there, that's not what saves you. It's a celebration of the grace that God's already given you in it, and accepting the grace that he's already given you. So it's a celebration, and, and, and it doesn't actually grant you grace. I love, back to that Ephesians passage, 2, 8, 9, it's by grace and grace alone, by, through faith, that you're saved. It's not by doing something good. So if it was up to just getting into the waters, that's you doing something. And we're granted free grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So adding the baptism, the baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't make you right. The grace that God gives when you follow him is what saves you. You don't have to add the extra step. And secondly, if it doesn't save us, baptism is an external celebration of something that's already taken place in our heart. 
It's a celebration of something that's already inside of us, of Christ working in our lives and changing and, and guiding and directing us to a new life. It's a symbol, it's a picture of something that's already taken place. When I, when I started thinking about this, it's a well-used illustration, but, but the, the ring on my finger symbolizes something, right? The ring on my finger symbolizes the love and affection that I have for my wife. It symbolizes that I'm married, right? And even think, when I got this ring, when we exchange rings at a, at a wedding, just because you exchange that ring doesn't mean you instantly love that person, right? Like, you're not really in love until you give the ring, right? No. In fact, when you get married, you've been kind of fostering and bringing up that, that love for years, probably. Just because we put the ring on doesn't mean we're all of a sudden in love. That love's been budding and growing and, and, and going through the awkward dating stages and the asking out and, the, and, and falling in love. The ring is just a picture, a symbol. Just like that baptism is a picture, a symbol of the love and the way that God is already working in our hearts. So to apply this, what I want you guys to take away is, first of all, it's not necessary for salvation. I don't necessarily need this ring to love my wife. I love her whether this ring is here or not. I remember when I, when I uh, asked, was getting ready to ask her to marry me, and she was pushing me. We, we dated forever, and she thought it was way too long. But she kept pushing me and pushing me. She said, just get a piece of string and give it to me. She kind of got that idea. Like, it wasn't the ring that made, like, showed my love for her. That love was already there. So, so baptism is a celebration, a, a symbol Romans also says you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And that's how you're saved. Not by going into these waters. And the second thing I want to take away from the celebration is that you should get baptized when you understand, when you believe, and you can publicly profess what God is doing in your heart. Again, hopefully the, 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 the wedding day isn't the day that you realize that you love someone. The wedding day is just the celebration of the love that has been growing for some time. But you come to the wedding day and you just profess that to everybody. This is the love that's been growing and this is what, what we've been feeling. We've been crazy about each other and, and we want to go public with this. And we want 200 people to come and celebrate with us. So baptism is a celebration. And you do it not to be saved and you do it when you understand and believe publicly say, this is what I believe. Wedding turns into lifelong commitment. When Christ starts to work in our hearts, we celebrate what he's doing and start a lifelong commitment with him. With that, I need to move to my last point. The last thing I want us to take away from it this morning is that baptism is a proclamation of the gospel in your life. While it's celebration, it's also proclaiming that and saying this is what God is doing in my life. First, if we identify with Christ, then the point is to do it publicly. Because if you identify with somebody, you're going to make that public, right? I was thinking back uh, a while back, um, like in elementary, 
in elementary school, there's always the one kid or, or, or maybe the group of kids, but there's, there's usually a kid that sits by himself. And most of the other kids don't feel comfortable being identified with that other kid, right? You probably think back, um, you know, and, and maybe you were that kid. But the bold move, if, if, if you know that, that you need to treat that kid with love, you go and sit next to that kid. And what are you doing? You're identifying. You don't care what everybody else is going to think if you sit by that kid. When we start to think about that, to, 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 to really believe something is to identify with it. And at the same time, when you celebrate, you don't celebrate alone, right? So, so back to this illustration of the wedding. The good old-fashioned words, I'm, I'm doing a wedding in June, but the good old-fashioned uh, words that we usually say at, at a wedding, I'm sure you could probably almost say yourself, but dearly beloved, we are gathered today in the presence of what? These witnesses. These witnesses. So when we have our identity and we're celebrating in Christ, we're also saying it to, to people around us. We're saying this is what's taking place. It's a proclamation. In a sense, that's why you do it when you get married. You want to say it to as many witnesses as you can. We're in love, and we're spending the rest of our lives together. When you get baptized, you're saying, Christ is my everything, and I want to tell as many people as I can. So again, applying this for just a second. Baptism is a proclamation in the church to the world. It's a proclamation in the church to the world. Therefore, baptism should be public. Again, you could go home, put, put some water in the back, and kind of baptize yourself. But we're kind of missing what Paul pushes us towards, what he encourages us towards, that it needs to be public, that the church is the one that does it, and that it needs to be public. Now, in those regards, there's a lot of different, there's some leeway in that. We're obviously doing a stock tank. I thought about just going out to the Missouri River. You got, would you like going out to the Missouri River at this time of year or to the lake? There's still ice on Hauser. <laughs> there's some leeway in how and where and when, but the point is that it needs to be public and that it needs to be in the church. I mean, not in the doors of the church, but that the church is the one that leads doing that. It's a public example of what Christ is doing, a public display, a public symbol and celebration of his death, burial, and resurrection. So we're about to celebrate baptism this morning, kind of the moment you've all been waiting for, right? When you came in and you saw or you, someone invited you and you're like, ah, oh, this, this is what we've been waiting for. We're about to celebrate baptism here. I hope nobody in the front row gets splashed on I didn't know how full to fill it, so we'll see, see if it's too full. No, I, I had someone give me some, some pointers. But the moment we've all been waiting for this morning, the moment to, to celebrate and experience what God is doing. As a, a fellow follower of Christ, if we're a believer this morning, we're called to welcome, love, and encourage Tessa and Kyle. We're, we're, we're encouraged to, to identify with them in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're called to welcome them with open arms. To say, we're here with you. We're ready to, to start this journey of, of following Christ. And, and, and we want to help you as we try to look more and more like Jesus every day.
So we're called to encourage and welcome and love Tessa and Kyle. Not that they haven't already been welcomed and loved, but there's this new identity that we're connecting with as fellow believers. We realize that we're real people seeking Christ together. Another thing that we take this morning as, as I conclude, if you aren't a follower of Christ, this speaks to you just as much. You are called to reflect and see what God is doing in their lives. It's a public pronouncement of this is who God is and this is who we were and this is who we are now because of what God has done. And so if you haven't made that, taken that step, made that decision to, to, to trust in Jesus Christ, to accept his grace through faith like Paul talks about, this morning baptism is a chance for you to think about that, to reflect and see what God is doing in your life. To see the transformation and see, in a sense, how it symbolizes the old self going away and raising to the new, the new one God has given us. So if, I, if you would, just bow your heads and close your eyes. You want to take a moment to reflect. You bow your heads and close your eyes.